Hey guys, it's uh, B is out. It is a is a boys club today. Yeah. Say hi, everybody. Hello. <laughs> hey, we're in the treehouse. We're in the, the like got my hat on backwards. Oh like <laughs> it's the uh, ah, I was trying to, whimsy. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Anyway, B uh, wishes that she could uh, join us. She is currently on uh, day twelve of a migraine and is uh, off getting some treatment for it she will be back for the next episode she promises she she really wishes that she were here um <laughs> it's a uh, surreal sausage fest over here debate night in america so yeah it's uh today it is uh me that's Artie, um uh, vince phil and joining us again is charlie hi i'm action hey. bronson charlie aka action bronson i don't Um, actually even know who that is it's i would i would continue uh to not okay yeah i think it's just easier that way this this is how i feel about buck angel and the real ones will know that reference (laughs) wait do you have issues with buck angel for another podcast (laughs) all right Uh, anyway, uh, welcome to the death panel, the official podcast of the DNC Milwaukee host committee. Um, that's, we, uh, we welcome you and you are about to die. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We are, we are now entering the, uh, what is it? What is it called again, Vince? I keep saying national social security event, but it's, it's actually, a, uh, it's a national special security event. Yeah. We are now a, entering the national, uh, special security event. Please, uh, please check your civil liberties at the door. And, no, we uh, don't even know. We don't even know where this special security zone is going to be yet. Really? Like, it's really like, I don't know. So I live like maybe 10 blocks from the, the convention site and I have no idea whether or not I'm like in the DMZ, if I'm like on what side of the DMZ I'm on, like <laughs> what barricades will exist. So, well, but yeah, they're, they're keeping all that under wraps. Phil, you haven't uh, considered the possibility that the zone is actually a gradient. Um, and that just, oh, yeah, like, we're all in the zone. We all live yeah, in the zone now. But the closer, the closer that you get to it, like the convention center itself, the more acutely, uh, you personally will be oppressed. Wait, the zone is a, is a gradient like grayscale? Yeah. Think of like a heat map where it like, it just, it dissipates <laughs> think, slowly. Uh, think of like Apex Legends where it's, yes, uh, you know, thank you. <laughs> expanding and contracting, mostly contracting, I guess. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Yeah, I was I sort know. of thinking House of House of Leaves, but uh, you know, whatever. Right, yeah, yeah. Choose Definitely. your reference. Either way, older um, than time. Um, yeah. Actually, uh, we're recording sort of uh, during or right before the debate, the first time that Bloomberg will be on stage uh, tonight. Thank you, Democratic National Committee. Yeah. Um, that's wonderful. Uh, really and excited. Nevada's on Saturday, so... So that's, that's thrilling. <laughs> I guess actually, yeah, before we get into it. So today we're, you know, we're going to, we have a bunch of stuff to talk about, but we have like, as we kind of mentioned some things about, we actually want to touch on the, uh, what's going to happen with the DNC in July because, uh, Milwaukee is, uh, actively picking its police procedures right now, basically. Um, yes, so I'm going to the fire and police commission meeting tomorrow night. So oh, yeah? oh my should God. be very exciting. That, so that... Phil's going to be arrested. <laughs> Um, hopefully not. Yeah, hopefully not. Um, I mean, isn't that what you, that's, that's always what you say, sort of going into a fire and police 
event, but you know, you, you never really know. Yeah. It was sort of probably like right. fire and policeman's ball, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, the, the story about this is like really interesting that, so a few years ago there was a, uh, police shooting, um, in a neighborhood called Sherman park. Uh, there was a sort of, I guess you would say an uprising in Sherman park, uh, thereafter. And the, you know, what the police, uh, commissioner now is saying that they're doing is, Oh, well, you know, that was chaos. And now we need to like, we need a standard operating procedure based on best practices. Uh, which of course, when you're talking in this realm, we all know what that means. Right. right. Um, and like the, the policy is really, really important to like read in its own words, mm-hmm. uh, because it basically says like, it tries to make a distinction between peaceful protest, which it defines as a lot of this is redacted actually too. That's fun. Um, <laughs> it's just like, what is our policy? I don't know. Yeah. Um, Won't tell you. We're trying to make it clear to the public and therefore we yeah. are redacting it. Yeah. Okay. A peaceful, peaceful demonstration. A gathering of people expressing a position in a cooperative manner without violation of the law. Uh-huh. Don't make me cooperate with other people. I can peacefully not be cooperating with others. And then and then here are the punishable things. Here is what a civil disobedience is. Mm-hmm. The refusal to obey laws in an effort to affect change and or express <laughs> a viewpoint characterized by using passive resistance or other nonviolent means. B, civil disorder. Groups, acts of violence and or disorder prejudicial to public safety, law, and good order. Civil disturbance, an unlawful assembly that constitutes a breach of the peace, or any assembly of persons where there's a potential of imminent danger of collective violence, destruction uh-huh. of property, or other unlawful acts. These are typically, but not always, spontaneous occurrences requiring the emergency mobilization of police forces and related emergency services. So this is sort of like the ACLU chapter here is like basically saying as well, this is, this policy is so vague. You could drive a Mack truck through it. It's, it's um, yeah. uh, really, really dangerously vague. And, you know, we don't know what the nature of demonstrations related to the DNC is going to be yet. I think there's still a lot in formation. Yeah, I do know. I've I've talked to some folks and at least some folks who are organizing like the top of their agenda is like what they regard as a peaceful protest. Who knows whether or not the police will regard it that way. But the top of their agenda is, you know, making a demand for Medicare for all. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, what is that? What is the police response going uh, going to be to that? You know, we don't know. If I see so much as a public option sign, (laughs) people are going to jail. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's like what obviously this is. This is the intention of this policy, right, is to to make it sound like they're actually doing something based on this. What they called a disturbance in Sherman Park uh, in 2016, not a police shooting right like the, the, you know that literally in in all of their literature they refer to it as the disturbance mm-hmm. which is just like god damn but well, to them it did it did disturb their regular course of business right you know. yeah i mean yeah exactly yeah. it reminds me of the of shooting uh, black peter, teenagers reminds me of the peter greenaway movie the falls where they keep talking about that thing called the violent unknown event uh throughout the movie <laughs> that's like phil that's what we have risk management for yeah exactly <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, but this, but this is the point, right? Like this is completely, you know, to, to be able to like have this, you know, policy that they know that like nobody 
uh, other than like, you know, people at the ACLU are going to read so that they can one say that they have done something to create like a quote unquote standard, you know, policy that doesn't that isn't biased and and isn't, uh, you know, targeting specific people. And then when they do end up like uh, tear gassing, you know, a, a crowd of you know, disabled protesters who are just protesting for Medicare for all because they say that they're like a civil disturbance or, right. a, uh, you know, they can point to this and say like, no, no, we we told you guys we were going to tear gas you. Right. And I mean, I think that's the, that's kind of the important thing to remember as like the, the I mean, this is completely consistent with past past uh, political conventions too, mm-hmm. like both RNC and DNC. I think that the reason to underline it here is because, again, um, you know, this is something that it may seem like it's a long time away, but like the mechan- the mechanics of how this is uh, being is going to be set up are happening actively mm-hmm. right now, and these um, these national special security events, right? Um, they essentially allow and create a zone for federal funding to come in, for, like to create security or security with you know big square quotes there. Um, for these events, which uh, is then run by social, uh, say social security again, wow, okay. run by the Secret Service. I get every time I think SS, I just think social security. I'm sorry, it's like really fucking me up. Really, um, that's what you think of when you hear SS? I know. Yeah, <laughs> total social rock, policy. I walked dork. right into that yeah. one. Thank you. Yeah, but um, they, you know, the the Secret Service comes in and they essentially like run things. The FBI runs like counterterrorism investigations, and FEMA is there as like to be in charge of disaster preparedness or whatever if there is a you know quote-unquote like terrorist event they cover up Um, the evidence right but so like what what's happened with this uh over like a a bunch of the recent history of this is um things like i mean like vince alluded to uh people being tear gassed that obviously that obviously like happens has happened quite a lot but basically like the federal intelligence community comes in they start like warning that anarchists are going to come and like displace the peace basically Mm -hmm. right in milwaukee or this is what will probably will happen based on like past events Mm -hmm. like um in the in the lead up to the 2008 republican national convention uh in saint paul in saint paul minnesota a bunch of activist groups were like preemptively raided like the Mm -hmm. homes of activists were raided fbi agents literally did entrapment on a couple people right. like right. suggesting that they make Molotov cocktails then they made them and they got put in jail for a couple of years. Um, so, well, and yeah, I mean, and the other, the other, you know, sort of thing about this to remember is like, you know, a contested convention could be like, I mean, could happen. Right. Yeah. And like, that's, you know, what happens inside the convention center is definitely going to affect what's going to happen outside the convention center. And like, you know, if you think about, you know, the, 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 even the, 2016. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For all intents and purposes, a contested convention, even though. Yeah. Exactly. And like, you know, the fact that like the, the police almost everywhere consider like Antifa, right. Like have this, like this fear of like Antifa as like this scary terrorist, you know, like cell organization that like could, could come and disrupt things. It's, you know, to, to the point that, like, they're so scared. Like, if they see, like, a group of people, like, all wearing black for some reason, they're like, ah, it's Antifa, you know, like, yeah. you know, and then and then it just turns into this cycle where, like, the guidelines that they're setting here will then allow them to, like, buy a bunch of, uh, like, riot gear and security equipment um, to, that they can then justify because they've, like, defined disturbance of the peace so 
broadly. Right. I mean, I'm just impressed at the sort of like 3D clout chess that's being played here because <laughs> not only are they stressing about who's going to come to the party months in advance, but they're already stressing about how they can jail the guests of this party <laughs> for breathing wrong based on the rules that they invented. Uh-huh. Now that's right. clout. Yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's it reminds me of the the sort of the origins of this idea because it like the conventions are I like this idea of a special security event right that it creates this like space that we're simul like simultaneously uh we're, we're having this like festival of democracy and then at the same time all of the <laughs> oh my god all well, of the sort of like a veritable ideas fest uh, uh, right i'm just imagining like a ren fair version of like festival of democracy <laughs> <laughs> phil would you go to that i think that's also yeah aussie fest too go ahead. only if i could only if i can wear like chain mail um, <laughs> the Phil, you can wear chainmail anywhere. You know that, right? Well, That's true. I guess so. <laughs> People do tend to but, do that. Yeah, <laughs> but it's also this like space where all of the the these sort of like liberal democratic norms, if you will, are like <laughs> displaced. And it, it actually reminds me of the way that they decided where to put the capital of the United States and and how they created Washington D.C. The entire point of it was to take the capital and physically displace it from right. where large mm-hmm. numbers of people were as a way of, again, creating this sort of monumental uh, fake space. And because there wasn't like a large national security state at the time, uh, using distance as a means of policing. And yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> now we have a massive, now we have a massive capacity for state repression. Now we can police up close and personal. Yeah. We can do it better, you right. know? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, it also goes goes back to like the right to like assemble is kind of one of these ones that, you know, like doesn't often get litigated, like in court doesn't often get, you know, like there isn't really a way to like adjudicate it fairly in the moment because it's just like really up to the discretion of police. And like, you know, we we think about like having a right to assemble as like, you know, like kind of foundational to like, you know, democracy and freedom people but like, always talk about it as such but yeah i think the lived experience of a lot of people says quite it's, otherwise it's completely yeah. different yeah the, the lived experience of a lot of people is not a festival of democracy let me no. tell you <laughs> yeah. um, right and and like this goes back to the fact that like this is like one right that is like almost every time one tries to exercise it 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 will be curtailed should we um talk about the gossip we are reading about police consultant Robert Wasserman. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, Charlie shared a wonderful... Uh, made a contribution to the Google Doc. Yeah, shared a wonderful Could not co- be more contribution. Proud. I wasn't even aware of this outlet, but I guess now in, in addition to having our sort of like preferred business news, we have our sort of like interior uh like cop journalism uh <laughs> pro like pro cop uh thin blue line journalism source which uh you absolutely hate to see but <laughs> what uh deeply concerns me i think well, uh, obviously there are like multiple things uh about this but one of the things that deeply concerns me about whatever the the exact rules end up looking like for milwaukee is that either way it is the situation where you do have i mean they've uh, the milwaukee police department has reached out to like 150 different police departments in like both in the state of Wisconsin and like from outside. So you have this situation where you're basically like, yeah, sure. You can say that you have the right to like freely assemble or whatever, but you have this, uh, temporarily like 
military and intelligence and and military and military intelligence and like cop occupied zone Mm -hmm. it's like almost like the the city of milwaukee will temporarily be suspended i mean essentially it's being like you're allowed into this uh pool of water but if you go past 50 feet there are piranhas (laughs) you don't really have right to assembly well and also it should it should really like say something about the security state's lack of faith in like most americans most of the time (laughs) that like you know that they might have to quell an uprising but like the fact that they don't sort of like go to these lengths like more often like really tells me that they're sort of like yeah don't don't they eh. i think i, I mean i think not part like, of the not so, like but guys, this but this guys, intensely for a mere for a mere one million dollars you could get a gold package to the <laughs> dnc in milwaukee and what you could get for that is select advertising opportunities uh, customized VIP tours of Milwaukee landmarks, such as the site of the Bayview Rolling Mills massacre. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, I sometimes uh, I, I've been wondering, like, more and more, what an aesthetics of public-private partnership would look like. And I feel like you just gave me a lot of bullet points, Phil. <laughs> I think I think in a lot of ways we live in it. Yeah, right? I mean, actually, New York City is the ultimate public-private partnership yeah. in general. Really? I mean, contemporary New York City, you know. Yeah. Um, and actually, well, like, uh, sex and the New York City. <laughs> well, that's probably like uh, <laughs> that's uh, probably a, a good. Um, transition actually because you have all these like officers from different police forces like who are going to be bearing down on Milwaukee and it's interesting to look at uh, kind of like like, like the, the synthesis I think of the article that uh, Charlie shared with us is essentially that like despite the fact that there's no like there's not a ton of real like overarching federal oversight over like what local law enforcement does and looks like there like there is some to some degree um, but they've kind of like been doing it themselves and it has emerged with all of these public-private partnerships, actually, mm-hmm. that are mostly like I don't know, like basically like Broken Windows OS or something. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Oh my like, god! Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Wow. Someone was a post-internet artist. Yeah. Uh-huh. Drag her. <laughs> no, I mean that was basically it. Um, after sort of the quote-unquote civil unrest of the '60s and '70s, um, these. Uh, the police decided that the problem um, with policing is that the police needed to be quote unquote more professional. And so then (laughs) this sort of like consulting cottage industry popped up, um, which uh, they're basically, what are they called? Not a cottage industry. It's fucking Oh, perf. Yeah. Perf. Police executive research form. Perf. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so they just make a shit ton of money holding these like talks or schools. And I think for each police officer to attend one of these class, like a three week summer class, it's like $9,000 per officer. Yeah. And I think Bratton is involved. The guy who invented Bill Bratton. Yeah. Broken windows. The current vice chair of Homeland Security. Yeah. Thanks, Obama. Literally. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because it's one of those, it's, I think, one of these things where um, without necessarily thinking about it, you might have like a hunch that like so much other stuff that there is a, there is like not a very big gulf between corporate startup and think tank world or something. Yeah. Um, we're used to thinking of like the, uh, the military industrial complex, right? And that's just like like the same operation, oh, yeah. uh, like Bill uh, Bill Bratton, for example. No, but it, it does, or, but go ahead. much about the way that this this zone of like police thinking works is it 
it further like very similar to the DNC. It is Mm -hmm. about creating a space away from the world where you can look at images of the world and like through those images, like reproject on like your idea about what an orderly world looks like. And that's in many ways, like a lot about the way that uh, public policy making like currently works is like you create this, like, you know, jaundiced uh, fictional image of the world. You create some numbers that uh, attempt to like get at what, uh, how, how to control or manipulate that image. And then you feed it back to yourself in evaluation reports right, and continuously yeah. convince <laughs> yourself that what you're doing is you are tending to watering, feeding and, taking very good care of the image. I mean, Broken Windows was like literally invented to like manage quote unquote disorder. I think it's like worth stating basically that so much of this stuff, and maybe this is especially uh, relevant considering again that like Bloomberg is ascendant. Yeah. Um, We are weak. Yeah. Bloomberg has been having a week. He's been having rising poll numbers. And I think just before, before getting into like the stuff like where we'll be touching on him basically in a little bit, Um, I think it is like worth stating that it is, I don't know, immensely frustrating, I guess, to see him be able to kind of like have that ascendant moment or whatever, Mm -hmm. like have, have this like big bump in polls, even when I think, I think there is a tendency to talk about stop and frisk as though it's something that is like completely done and over. (laughs) You know what I mean? Whereas I do think it's sort of like morphed into this, uh, into this other thing which we will we will eventually have like another we will eventually find some other really bad name for this right for like whatever whatever like what the current uh method of policing is because there's you know there's stories obviously about like people coming from like the idf or whatever to train police forces right but like uh also what some of these people do like in an even in a in a just as insidious but like a less like like a less obviously evil way basically like a lot of the same people again like bill bratton who sold you who sold the like the nation the broken windows policing policy and uh and comp stat as in like comparing statistics or whatever are the are like the same people who are still like going around to conferences and uh encouraging uh predictive policing which like it's advocates and uh, predictive policing's advocates and law enforcement compared predictive policing's efficiency gains to innovations in Walmart and Amazon's warehouse distribution systems. Oh, Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's not, let's not forget that it immiserates people at almost the same rate. Well, yeah, there's this, I mean, there is this like fetishization of an actuarial view of all things that like Mm -hmm. what predictive policing is just the same way that, sentencing algorithms work is it uses an actuarial logic for activities that used to be based on, I don't know, actual, uh, events. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but there is this like fetishization of it. I always think about, um, like Atul Gawande had that whole article about, Oh, if only the American healthcare system worked like the cheesecake factory. Um, <laughs> and it's just, it, oh it is this, uh, I don't know. I, I just think of it as the airport, uh, business, uh, business volume, the airport business, uh, genre of, yeah. uh, of thinking about all things. Yeah. It's really, uh, like 
not to whatever quote Hannah Arendt, but it's like <laughs> do it, please. To quote her number one quote Speak when on I go- um, when I googled Hannah Arendt, the first thing that came up was <laughs> banality of e- banality of evil quotes. Um, uh-huh. So that's what I'm going to read here. Evil comes from a failure to think. It defies thought. For as soon as thought tries to engage itself with evil and examine the premises and principles from which it originates. It is frustrated because it finds nothing there. That is the banality of evil. I was just, so I was thinking of that when you were talking about the sort of like difference between um, the IDF coming to train uh, police officers and versus sort of just like the banality of having like a group of like police management consultants meet at Harvard. Right. Yeah. And it's just like almost like the, the more you try to like stare into it and penetrate uh, and be like, what is going on? What does this actually look like? You yourself are, to quote Arendt again, frustrated because you find that there is nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's it's just using, you know, essentially like some algorithms and spreadsheets as a, an abstraction layer between like the police and the immiseration of minority communities. I mean, the other thing to think about also is like, you know, the the current policy of the NYPD is is like they call it community policing at the mm-hmm. moment, which, you know, is essentially the same can essentially be exactly the same as stop and frisk but you just ask the gentrifiers who you should stop and frisk first like yeah that's literally all it is it's like right right. go to gentrifying neighborhood like hold you know hold community meeting that is like attended by like wealthier people who have and like a stake in the real estate values of the neighborhood then you ask them like what they want policed and they say like oh yeah all those guys in the corner selling weed and then and then stop and frisk again it's like you know it's it's, it's really simple right yeah um it's, yeah. it's like an aesthetics of nimbyism oh yeah totally really get into that but we should probably well, talk yeah. about i mean so yeah speaking of an aesthetics of uh nimbyism yeah. michael bloomberg <laughs> uh michael bloomberg has been in the news a lot this week not just for his comments about how you know you gotta you really gotta clamp down on social security and there are all these ways that you can and blowjobs all the cu- quotes <sighs> about blowjobs yeah i don't i don't even want to get into that frankly that's, that's just uh, nope. ridiculous nope. also you know uh why why worry about like some of some of the old quotes when he's always making new ones. Yeah. You know, he's a real um, content creator. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he, unlike many of us, he's found an art form that uh, really manages to go viral every time. <laughs> yeah. All of his um, posts are sponsored. Yeah. That just, that just reminds me, I was reading this, uh, I was reading this McKinsey report on, Lol. uh, <laughs> on you okay, bro? Light reading. Yeah. I was reading this McKinsey report on, um, on Gen Z, which they call the true generation. Oh my God. Uh, it's not even new. It's from like wow. 2018, but I was reading it today and actually what you described sounds a lot like, uh, like what you just described about Bloomberg sounds a lot like what they think of Gen Z. I think it's, I'm like kind of more mad about, uh, the fact that like he, 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 in a way built himself in like one week this narrative of being like shrewd on the internet which i feel like is you mean he built a narrative of being shrewd on the internet like that stupid (laughs) that stupid fucking story about him paying people like paying influencers like all that dumb shit now like there's like a whole narrative of his like team being like whatever good at fucking meme shit Mm -hmm. and like i know that that's completely ridiculous but part of it to me is like uh, a way to like mask the fact that like he well, I don't think has been on the internet or does the internet like but we live in a visual we, culture now Vince so as long as he looks vaguely 
uh, like he possesses gravitas. It's fine. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it even gravitas? <laughs> is it just that he looks ruddy? Like the word is just like gravitas. Yeah. Yeah. There's like gra- gravitas is not, but it's like if you do, I, I watch him with the sound off as as I I do inadvertently because like Twitter, you don't automatically have the sound on and videos play, but it's like you watch him with the sound off. It's like oh yeah, there's there's an old guy who you know whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's just like it's it's the absence of of gravitas or anything. It's is just the absence uh, of gravitas or the banality of evil, Phil? I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, um, let me, I mean, let me let me kind of uh, like restart this a little bit, though, because yeah. he did. So, you know, things do kind of like keep coming out. Obviously, the um, there was a, a big news hit, I think, uh, two days ago that he had made uh, really gross transphobic comments um, in like just like at his business during business. And as a resident trans, I will, my response to that is Bloomberg is five, eight, I'm five, seven and a half. And Bloomberg, I, I will be taller than you at one point. <laughs> Wait, Bloomberg is, Bloomberg is, uh, is not five, eight. Yeah, that's true. He paid Google to say that he's five, eight. I love that. He's like five, six, I think. Um, anyway, the, I am taller than him. It already happened. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you, that was uh, quicker than you yeah. thought. I'm so happy. Um, what was I going to say? And then, you know, uh, like a bunch of opposition research coming out showing that like, and not even opposition research, just people have like been looking on YouTube, <laughs> essentially, uh, found, found things like, uh, what I was kind of mentioning before, um, the fact that he, uh, made a bunch of comments about social security saying essentially that like, you know, the, like the, the poor aren't going to like it, but it, there are ways to like increase cost sharing and Medicaid, like just make them have uh higher higher out of pocket payments or whatever and this is you know the program that we use to like give health insurance to like the poorest of our like of our nation mm-hmm. and then you know things like him there was like one just showing that um he in in talking about the need to kind of like gut or you know possibly apply the thumb screws to social security he compared the AARP to the NRA um which I don't know yeah. fair kind of in some ways i mean <laughs> but uh not in, in the, not for the reason that the, he says exactly, exactly. In that they are a lobby <laughs> sort of yeah um but obviously so we you know we talked a lot about bloomberg on our on our last episode uh if you haven't listened to that go uh check that out become a patron but we do want to pause on him again for a moment uh specifically because this apparently is the primary of having plans and bloomberg in line with uh being prepared for his first big debate uh, performance uh, tonight has has released some plans. Bloomberg has a plan I too for that. want to welcome people to a table. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Do you oh know, my God, Phil, how did, I didn't know you were so good at that. Releasing a plan this way is, you know, like it's, this is almost like, uh, you know, the, you know, the phrase art washing or queer washing. This is like yeah. technocracy washing. <laughs> totally. Yes. Yeah. Uh, wonk washing. Yeah. Yeah. Wonk washing. That's totally. exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah. We should. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, they all, they all have the same, um, uh, th- there is a genre that has emerged. This is something that I think didn't exist, uh, maybe eight years ago. I agree. Um, yeah. I can't remember it ever being quite like this. And it, it actually, it's telling how, uh, how actually it seems like an anomaly in this primary consider uh, for like Joe Biden to have skated by so long without kind of like becoming a plans guy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. Yeah. Which we talk probably- about it all. We talk about it all the time on, on we, or we've said it many times, like 
the go back and look at what people were talking about with like what would become the Affordable Care Act in the 2008 election. Right. That was the it was just an amorphous. It was like a it's like platitudes. It was yeah. like a college entrance essay. When platitudes uh, like, but now, no, you do have to have like the executive summary and you yeah. have to have the the citations to like pseudo academic literature. Um, and, uh, you know. Here, here's what you get. I mean, you get yeah. Mike Bloomberg saying like, yeah, here's our education plan. We're going to like cap uh, federal assistance for student loans. That's our- <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. The three that we're going to work with, I don't know if we're, uh, I don't know if we're exactly going to hit all of these, but basically with on, on the same day on, on Tuesday, uh, Bloomberg released um, three, uh, three big plans, uh, big structural plans. Uh, one for education, one for criminal justice reform, which, wow, buddy. Um, and then, uh, like, maybe uh, leave it alone the, for like a couple weeks. Maybe, yeah. I, I feel like if I go to Bloomberg2020.com or whatever the fuck his website is and I see the words criminal justice reform, like, that's the last thing. Yeah. It's I, like you know the Mike, I mean? yeah, the Mike Bloomberg stickers just say, uh, Mike Bloomberg no longer racist. Yeah. As of 2018. I mean, actually speaking. Stop of, and frisk NYPD collab. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> Dropping soon. Yeah. I mean, he literally on that, I mean, on that, on that plan page and, and we'll, we'll get to, uh, on that plan page. It literally says it literally fucking straight up lies and says under Mike's leadership, New York city was the safest big city in America, uh, achieving historic drops in both crime and incarceration. Like, excuse. <laughs> no. Wait. Well, I guess you made the city a walking prison. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but so uh, he had he had, had those two plans, and then also released a uh, plan on f- uh, finance sector reform. My God. Um. So yeah, Vince. Uh, Vince. Uh, tell tell us about the education plan. Oh my God. I mean, essentially, it's basically he just says like. Yes. Now what we're doing now is fine, except for I'm going to make it harder to pay back your loans. Like yeah. that's essentially like the plan in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it basically caps the amount of money that you would be able to be forgiven for income driven repayments. Right. Um, so so essentially like right now for I think federal student loans, if you get a job where you don't make a ton of money and you are good about repaying your or your like you know whatever current repaying your loans uh for like 20 years they if get you forgiven. bother to repay your loans yes exactly <laughs> if you bother to repay your loans uh they'll be forgiven after literally 20 years of paying and and currently like the cap is like 10 percent of your income basically mm. which is just a shitload yeah and he wants to change it to what five which is still a shitload well he wants to change it to five but he wants to limit the amount of money that can fall under that repayment from like currently it's the entire loan right now he wants it to be a mere fifty seven thousand dollars which if anybody's gone to college recently yeah is like one half of one year that's true yeah i mean i think that the important thing here is that like you know, one, as I kind of said before, like this is like a primary where you need to have these kind of like relatively technocratic white papers or whatever coming out mm-hmm. Two, like, I don't think that Bloomberg assumes that anything that he puts here, he would be held account to anyway. No. And three, even if it was capable to in any way, like hold him to account. The funniest part about all of this is that I feel like 
they're uh i don't know much like the community-based policing thing yeah it's like all of these are sort of adopting soft-ish language or whatever like adopting adopting the sort of language that you would expect out of uh seeing something in uh like uh, some like you know quote unquote progressive plan Mm -hmm. or something uh and then like kind of mimicking that language and watering down giving like producing a watered down version of what even would be in like a peat plan right for example well and this is i mean it is it's it's the same exact like game that that a peat or a biden or klobuchar or warren like does this is like this is the game plan right except for bloomberg is like even more explicitly fascist yeah i mean i I always see this and this is not this is not specific to bloomberg it's not specific to this primary it is something that i think is just a feature of like public policy discourse is that i kind of feel like i was thinking about this with the financial um with the 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 financial reform thing that he put out which is very similar to the to the student loan thing which is like mm-hmm. this is the remix this is like the the grease mega mix of <laughs> of like democratic God. of democratic uh financial regulation policy since 2008 since the the financial crisis mm-hmm. um yeah. and it's basically this sort of ad hoc mix of uh, fixes, you know, you've got your, your financial transactions tax, you've got your reform of uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, you've got sort of reversing what Republicans have done to the consumer financial protection bureau and like Mm -hmm. some like tweaks to, to the Volcker rule. But I think the, what, what it sort of is, 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 just a a rehash. It reminds me sort of like what Obama might have pledged to do at some <laughs> point or like a mix of, uh, of things that like the Obama administration might have pledged to do, uh, yeah. you know, had it a little bit more political space in 2008. But I think what's telling to me is like Bloomberg This is not, I want to say, like a feint to the left on these policies. It's sort of like a trying to like hit a point between um, Pete and maybe Warren on on these issues. I think the really telling thing to me is while he makes these like lateral moves on education policy and maybe uh, financial reform and to some extent criminal justice, which is utterly the most just you know, I don't know, just yeah. f- like feckless, uh, just sort of uh, things to say that he says. But the the thing that's telling to me is where he won't go and or where he won't make those sort of lateral moves where mm-hmm. he like stands a very firm right wing ground in this field, which is on right. on health care. And it's like I think that's the thing where it's like, yeah, sure, you can like mess around with these other things because no one will remember what you said about them anyway. But healthcare right. is something that people are paying attention to. <laughs> And so he cannot go beyond like the neoliberal iron curtain uh, on that. Could you say a little (laughs) bit more about the specific ways in which he is, so to speak, standing his ground (laughs) in terms of healthcare? Yeah. Well, Um, like his, his plan is very much in line with uh, all of like his, like his healthcare stuff, which is, you know, that uh, has been out there for a little bit is more in line with, it's like almost exactly a carbon copy actually of like the Pete Buttigieg and, um, okay. And, uh, Joe Biden plans down to the point of like all three of them. And I even like, I made a, a tweet about this. All three of them have this same sort of arbitrary cap, uh, of like, 
marketplace plans have to be capped at 8.5% of your income or whatever. So they're all kind of like clearly coming from the same pool. Um, They're crowdsourcing opinions uh, from the same consultants. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think a big part of Phil's point uh, overall is that essentially like this is like that it's actually quite telling that uh, healthcare, the debate over Medicare for all, et cetera, et cetera, is now actually such a, uh, sort of like both flashpoint and thing that people are actively watching. Oh, I see what you're saying. He, yeah, he. It's it's more dangerous for him to make a big statement on healthcare that it, there would be more of an assumption that he could be held to account for, as opposed to saying stuff like, um, I mean, I, I I love this. Like one of my one of my favorite examples in here of like a, a policy proposal is that like you know how there's a, a bunch of talk about making. Uh, like doing public banking at yeah. post offices, right? Yep. Uh, they say in here, quote, offering a curated selection of financial services through the U.S. Postal God. Service. So like, you know. Well, he's just, he's what it basically is. Basically making the Postal Service into a private bank. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Not, not the other way around. Well, no, but what it is is literally him trying to find different words so that he isn't, outright plagiarizing from all of the other people's proposals that basically offer from CNBC from CNBC (laughs) that offer like the exact same like shitty band-aid solutions. So like, you know, he definitely paid somebody that sentence definitely cost $3,000. That's all I'm saying. Maybe you're, I mean, in, in general, it's just like, you know, you, if, if you're trying to like, what, what do you write if you're trying to not get pinned to the pin, like, get any of your actual positions pinned down right right there's so many things that that could mean oh um, absolutely a curated selection it's like okay like cool enumerate Show, them tell me, tell me the selection <laughs> exactly do you know Select how long it. do you know how long bernie sanders plans are yours are very short yeah um, that's the other thing i would like to like note about uh, especially this finance plan it's just it's nothing um well there are some there are some big highlights in there too. Yeah, I mean, uh, such as Mike will quote promote healthy competition in financial services by creating one of my new favorite phrases, a regulatory sandbox mm-hmm. where startups can test concepts. That is, oh, yeah, no, no, it's, it's no, like, no, no, no. <laughs> it's We're like gonna... somewhere between. I was just like regulatory sandbox is somewhere between like grad school and kindergarten. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna make a space a. Uh, a, a, a temporary autonomous zone, <laughs> if you will. Uh, we're gonna, you know, you know, because because you know what uh, the financial sector needs is more Hakeem Bay, essentially. Right. But let's uh, let's get them some free ports. Let's uh, when two concepts love each other very much. Yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, you know, you wanna you you wanna do a little fraud. Just, just a little fraud. If you want to do a little fraud, you can do a little fraud. Just make sure you're a startup. Do it. Go ahead. Do some fraud. Right. Uh, and it's do it good. in this one spot. You're in the sandbox. Right. It's okay. Exactly. You're here. We're in the sandbox. We play here in the sandbox. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's really, it's, it's really bad. I mean, that, that whole, <laughs> that whole section, I'm just like reading through this whole section about, uh, like, well, you know, p- promoting, promoting growth. I mean, that's all right. it is. Cause also remember whenever, whenever it says like promote or strengthen or whatever, like, like here's like strengthen the financial stability oversight council. Like, Okay. Who do you think Bloomberg is going to put right, on right. an expanded financial stability oversight council? Right. You know what I mean? It's not going to be like someone with good ideas. It's going to be some asshole who's going to try and like get 
more like more of a take or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Or it's going to be like literally the person who manages Bloomberg's money who goes on MSNBC, like or is it CNN or MSNBC that like literally they have one of his like the his money manager goes on and like basically like give give you know quote unquote analysis about Bloomberg, but like not with any uh, not with any like explicit divulsion <laughs> right like they'll, they'll casually mention it and like that he's oh yeah you know you know bloomberg like tell us tell us what tell us what you think he do you like you manage his money right or something but they don't say like just for clarification anyway this so person that's is the a kind of person that they yeah. put on it you know well, you know what's funny is what's what's kind of amusingly like different about about that sort of situation from like trump is that when Trump people go on like MSNBC and Fox, like they're going on there to ter- to talk directly to Trump, um, not as like a mouthpiece for Trump, right. which like talk to not for. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, <laughs> totally. you know, because it's like the only thing that he watches. It should be like alarming that basically Bloomberg's policies are like, you know, essentially like, yep, status quo is fine. Anything Trump was doing, we'll just keep that. And then you know i don't know i'll just do a little tinkering around the edges like you know you know the fact that he's going to be like an effective uh like that that as president he would be like an effective implementer of trump policies should scare people immensely yeah he's like trump listen um i'll just be a a cleaner more new york timesier version of him i'm shorter you're not gonna notice me i don't make a lot of noise this is the thing that is kind of like the most terrifying i think it's nimbyism it's nimbyism he's like i'm gonna do trump but you're not gonna have to see it the effects of it and it's gonna look less bad and your parents when you go home to visit them they're gonna be kind of into it right yeah i mean that's i think in a lot of ways that's one of the things that kind of concerns me the most um, about Bloomberg because whether, you know, whether it's that like, uh, like the, he can sway liberal voters or whatever to be like, um, you know, voting for him and assuming like whether, whether the PR campaign works well enough or not, which by some accounts, you know, there's like, for like, for instance, a lot of his ads use like clips of like Obama talking about him. Yeah. And it's never made explicit that he's like endorsing him, but it is, it does, there are like a lot of accounts of like basically people kind of assume because of what the ad is that like Obama has endorsed Bloomberg over, over the field or whatever. And so like, uh, I I don't think it's a leap. I don't think it's a leap to say that if it came down to uh, Bloomberg and Sanders, Obama would pick Bloomberg. Oh, in a second. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But uh, the point is not that it's misleading. My point is that if that works and if we had Bloomberg essentially, you would have, I feel like you would legitimately have a huge, like too big of a pot, like at least what we have right now, like liberals are like really frustrated and like hate Trump. Mm -hmm. And that gives us like, as the left, a lot of leverage to kind of like pull them in and be like a lot of the things that you kind of think that you believe or whatever in terms of like what would be policy or your ambitions for equality and justice in the world, like come on over. Right. You know what I mean? But I think we're sort of, I mean, we're, we're getting very, the, I, here's the tendency with Bloomberg and you'll notice that it's going on right now. Do you notice that we're going down the black hole? Do you yeah. notice that like the, the, <laughs> we're getting into the Bloomberg spiral and, and That's true. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And here's why I actually think we're underestimating the ability of the people who are currently candidates to coordinate on destroying him. Yeah. I mean, I think that they, they, the current candidates for president have very little in common. The one thing I do think that they have in common 
is they actively don't want to see somebody Bloomberg like elected. Mike Bloomberg yeah. Yeah, who has true. no, who frankly, I mean, and it's not necessarily for the right reasons always. Uh, it, it's not necessarily because he is uh, an absolute oligarch and, you know, a, a sort of Putin-esque, um, Putin-esque uh, <laughs> figure. Um, I was thinking it, Phil. It's okay. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know, I mean, but it's not, it's not because he actually is, it's because he doesn't have connections to their networks. Right. He doesn't have, um, uh, he's not sort of embedded within their sort of like webs of, of influence. And it's, right. it would represent an actual moment of, of rupture, I think for, um, uh, even, even sort of dyed in the wool DNC types. And right. so I do think, and I'm not saying like the party itself is going to coordinate, uh, against him. I think that there's some people in the party who probably, you know, would be fine with him sort of going on and, and at least being sort of in the mix. But I do think it's, I, I'm, you know, whether or not it happens tonight, I think it, it very mm-hmm. well could happen soon is like that there is some level of coordination or at least consistency in, yeah. in taking him down. Now where here's the, here's the, the flip side. And, and again, I don't want to get dark, but like you got to think about who wants him in the race, who benefits from him being in the race. And that is the networks and the yeah, totally. uh, cable, cable media companies. They are, and there, there's a big <laughs> article that, that came out recently about how, absolutely delighted all these people uh are that he yeah, I is think from in the uh, lee fang and the intercept right yeah mm-hmm. lee fang and and it's the same same reason that they were delighted with trump i mean it is huge just gargantuan ad buys the likes of which like god has never seen yeah, and right. they and and also just like a consistent uh ability to just like keep the advertising going and, and it's like seemingly uh, yeah. without end and and drive up the cost for advertising making it really difficult uh in general for uh other campaigns not even the like presidential campaigns but like congressional campaigns to run fucking spots right for example i think uh my favorite part about all of that though is that the um someone that was looking at uh bloomberg's tv spending and it's like he can he can basically like dominate uh and again drive up the the cost of like buying all of these like cable uh ad spots and everything and yet still he's basically spending like the amount of money that he's spending is still like uh he's he's essentially spending at the same rate as like his money grows interest oh my god so he's like kind of just keeping even my god he's not even like dipping in yet if he wanted to so, it could be if he wanted to he could make it like state television he yeah, could run yeah. like ross perot style 30 minute spots where it's just mike bloomberg like or, or like mike bloomberg hires isaac mizrahi to like talk to right. you yeah. on hgtv like, and he has his own news network it's like yeah he already has a news network yeah. that's the only thing. so like he yeah. can or or he can just become he can uh wi- he can buy or win the presidency and then you know, use federal funding to create the the state TV Bloomberg apparatus if you wanted to. Oh yeah, or Think to quote uh, public private partnership, it's going to be NPR Bloomberg, right? Or to or to like quote the uh, the billionaire from uh, Contact, who he sort of reminds me of. <laughs> um, you know why why just one cable network when you could have two for twice the price yeah um, <laughs> exactly <clears throat> anyway. no it's 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 totally true i mean i think that at, well i think um maybe i think maybe uh, this is uh, probably a good again i don't want to i don't want to like give uh too much time to uh mikey bloomberg because 
one, I'm hoping that he's going to get absolutely shattered the moment that he actually uh, enters the race, hopefully during on Super Tuesday. But I wouldn't bet on it um, necessarily. Uh, but also too, because again, we you know just did that whole episode on him, and I'm uh, I mean I'm, I'm sick and tired of Bloomberg, so I'm sure our listeners are too. True. So uh, to enter, let's let's uh, enter the wonk corner for a second here. <laughs> Into the wonk corner. <laughs> so obviously, you know, again, we've been talking a lot about Medicare for all here. I think that you know we've we talk about a lot of plans. We've talked a lot about a lot of studies. In, in the recent past, we've done a lot of interviews. I'd like to take a take a second to just do a little roasting, if we could. Uh, mm-hmm. We haven't done that in a little while. <laughs> yeah. um, For the listeners, Artie's getting out his crossbow <clears throat> as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I probably gonna... cut that part already. <laughs> Sorry. So. Um, I am referring, of course, to uh, the New York Times this week released a, a stunning article. Excellent they, piece of journalism. <clears throat> yeah, wonderful piece of journalism. They thought... They thought to themselves, you know, the healthcare debate, real big debate in the country right now. Think a lot, a lot of people, of people are. Yeah, a lot of people care about it. Don't know why. Yeah. Just mm. who, who knows? You they, know? have, they have healthcare. They don't understand. Yeah. Um, so uh, they decided to do what they love to do. They, they got a bunch of, as I was, t- as I was telling Vince uh, before recording, they, they uh, took a bunch of uh, economists, put them in a room and took their masks off. <laughs> um, and uh, we have this, we have this wonderful, uh, situation where they have asked a bunch of economists what exactly uh they would like to see out of a out of a health system uh like what what health what health reforms in the united states would would economists suggest and their answers <laughs> were awesome were lovely. yeah <laughs> their answers will surprise you yeah i mean um, the first or they the want first- it all yeah, the, yeah. No, they, more like they want it all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, so like, so here, here are some, here are some examples of the yeah. uh, things that these, the the questions are. The health, health economists uh, appeared to agree with the idea that eighty uh, percent uh, of them agreed that uh, you know premiums shouldn't be higher for people with quote genetic defects. Oh boy, um, <laughs> not really sure why question would have been worded as genetic defect but then again maybe it was written by a health economist <laughs> um, uh you know uh the health economists right on the, maybe the bright side they they don't at least want to repeal the ACA 89% of them say that they don't want to repeal it but 70% of them are comfortable with charging people more if they engage in unhealthy behaviors that lead to higher health costs oh my god uh, so-called sin taxes, if you will. Um, oh boy! Ugh. And uh, you know, when it comes to thinking about the the way to bring down costs, they love the idea that we're going to create a big risk pool by mandating people to buy a product. <laughs> they love the universal mandate. Did, huh? uh, That's what the plan was the whole time. <laughs> Wait, did any of you other bros get a banner ad from a meal plan startup called Territory? Oh boy. Anyway, no, but that <laughs> no. that really that really fits fits with this article. I mean, the 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 most fucked up thing that I saw in here was that um they under under a header that says the most unpopular way to reduce spending uh 
It says employer sponsored health insurance is not subject to taxation. That results in a $250 billion loss in tax revenue every year, which I suppose uh, economists are upset about. Um, So it says, as many economists say, this leads to excessively generous insurance plans (laughs) contributing to wasteful health care spending. Where where are these excessively generous insurance plans? I know. I'm waiting for my employer to uh, give me one of these. Is that what uh, culinary? 226 has yeah <laughs> an excessively generous i'm just kidding but yeah it's it's uh it's it's wild i mean the fact that the fact that uh economists are like you know concerned with all of the excessively generous employer sponsored health insurance it just what well, it's it's literally like, uh, yeah. ghoulish because they're, they're just like, I think people aren't suffering enough. Exactly. I mean, that's just basically what they're saying. <laughs> right. They're like, mm, who, who, who do we think should suffer a little bit more? Right. Yeah. Right. And let's and and for them, it's just like about balancing the budget. They're like, mm, we need to raise more money. This whole thing is, <laughs> this whole thing is so funny because it reminds me of like <laughs> I had I had this like uh, how to put it. Like the I I hit the very low tier of viral with a tweet yeah. this week, and nice the, humble brag. I see the <laughs> well, no, just the the response, like the replies. But I mean, first of all, like it was uh, I was impressed that it, like did so well and like went relatively viral because it's literally I was just making a comment on something from a fucking academic study that we talked about in our last episode. <laughs> but like it was a good tweet. The it's interesting because the the spread and the responses have been like so. F- uh, so funny and so many of them are like literally I don't I don't know why and I wonder if this is something that like I've just missed uh, this being a concern but I could see this being a concern of like economist bros or whatever mm-hmm. one of the concerns that keeps coming up is people keep commenting at me that like the thing was about um, the fact that you could like basically give severance pay for two years to all health right. insurance private health insurance workers um, and it'd be fine and still be right. cheaper uh, to have Medicare for all. I mean, like after you've passed Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. But um, the the funny thing is people keep replying like, but then what about like the people who own stock in private health insurance companies? <laughs> like literally, this yes. is the thing that keeps coming up. Like what about, what, and not just like, and, and there it's always said in this like defending the middle class way, like, what about people who's like part of their part of their uh, like their pension, part of their reti- like retirement, part of their four hundred one k is like bound up in in health insurance company uh, stock, and it's like r- really yeah exactly. What, I'm sorry, <laughs> like the the poor uh, the poor pension the poor pension funds. Yeah, like what will they do? How will they recover? I mean the the, I, the question. I mean the, the one question that an alien coming to Earth might have about this article yeah. would be like why on earth do you ask questions about healthcare to economists yeah as yeah. if as if they should also, be also why do you have economists yeah as if this odd tribe should be consulted on matters of life and death and i think it is this kind of interesting history of how health economists came to be the people who in the United States, certainly, and to some extent in other countries, claim to speak on behalf of uh, uh, healthcare, right? I mean, it's not right. nearly... So, like, when... To give you an example, like, the the person who was 
the sort of like guru figure of Obamacare, Jonathan Gruber, like the health economist, like MIT is like, here's this guy who had no problem saying in public that people were stupid, right? Which is a sort of very <laughs> like economics-y thing to say. Right. Um, and, you know, but also like this vision of human beings as like the real problem with the way that uh, healthcare is allocated is that, that people are overutilizing. Uh, right. The idea which emerged from the Rand Corporation's Super health utilizers. insurance. Yeah, the health insurance experiment of the late 1960s. Um, and again, it's just this, this idea that I, I think as ideas of austerity sort of like migrate into um, legislative debates in the 1970s, economists are there with this sort of bundle of skills that they say, aha, we can solve this problem of allocating things to people while worshiping the, you know, doing their appropriate ritual sacrifices to the austerity God. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and <laughs> so I, I think, I think what's, I think what's interesting now is that like the, you know, one thing that we can say has already been a success of the Medicare for all movement is mm -hmm. that the illogic of that approach and the sort of fallacy of like the fallacies entailed in looking at the world that way are now like more visible than they ever have been. And so right. the question emerges like exactly what relevant group of skills or mix of skills do economists have that validate them as the people who should be empowered to speak on these things? And the right. answer is they're now, I mean, it's, it's, it's now simply the fact that they have power. It's not that anyone even recognize, right, I think it's tautology it, it, at this point. It's, mm -hmm. it's tautology. Like they happen to be around, they happen to be in prominent positions. They have, their expertise happens to be sought after for one symbolic uh, reason or another. And, um, so now we have to ask them in a survey what they right. think about things. And you know, what's awesome about this article is it's written in a kind of, it's a nice sort of blunt force way that just like, it shows you how ludicrous all of their ideas are and how oh, yeah. just utterly unpopular and, and <laughs> sort of maniacal they are. And it's, and it's great. You, you actually love to see it. Yeah. A related idea is for Medicare to convert into a voucher-based program. Right. Like, mm, okay. twenty. It shows that 28% uh, are fine with the current level of pharma company profits and say that that's necessary for the market. Right. Like, <laughs> Well, I mean, the, the thing that's spooky is like, uh, sorry, I feel like this is going to be a huge derailment, but... He, I've been thinking about CGI um, and <laughs> go on, uh, go on. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I just feel like these people sort of just like give themselves the authority to be like, we are the, we are like the producers of reality, mm -hmm. but yeah. more and more people see that like that vision of reality is a scam. So when, and I feel like it reminds me of how every time I, I was like thinking like, Oh, why are there more and more CGI movies and every, and they just want to like make CGI versions of like every movie that exists. Like, why is that happening? Whatever. And it, it almost feels like everyone so knows that reality is a scam that when you go to the movies, you want to see a little more reality <laughs> and that's what CGI is. Anyway, well, that's my the, also the CGI guys got to work. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, actually, I mean, the the, it's the extra touch the, of reality, which therefore also makes it unreality. Yeah. Well, I mean, to I mean, how to put it to like respond literally and directly, though, I think a lot of it uh, even can come down to a lot of the CGI work can be more easily found, uh, farmed out and 
actually skirt union labor. So you don't have to like hire a bunch of union people since the yeah. film industry is one of the last, you know, bastions of actually having like really good, uh, union protections, even though like, I don't know, Netflix and Amazon are working really hard to stop that. Yeah. But, um, it's funny that you mentioned that Charlie, cause I actually, this is just in terms of this, like, uh, like faux production of reality thing that both these are, these economists are doing, uh, whenever they like sort of imagine what uh, like some sort of like on paper uh, like the, the calculus of a of a consumer uh, health plan or something should look like or health health market should look like. Um, it's just reminding me that uh, I saw this thing the other day that some financial startup playing in a sandbox, if you will. Oh, my God. Is for financial transactions and for the like the purposes of like essentially trying to find and create interest and return, uh, basically in financial transactions that they are employing ray tracing. Uh, Oh my God. Wait, what is that? (gasps) Ray tracing is like this, uh, it's like, it's a thing that there's, there's like specialized hardware and, uh, graphics processing units now to like, uh, do specific algorithms that are made for, uh, like creating like lighting and part of like, particle ray physics. and particle physics basically Whoa. uh like ray like ray physics i guess since anyway. so, yeah you can go back you can go back and play an old game with ray tracing and it'll like have insane water effects and stuff like that but, oh. but right but the like the the point being it's like using using this like modeling factor of like the physics of light or whatever right but y- using that to process financial transactions i think my assumption being as this sort of like buzzword thing to get people to invest and give them money specifically again, sandbox, but yeah, <laughs> um, <clears throat> sorry, that was quite a derailment. Isn't but, that how Bitcoin happened? Uh, <laughs> sort of anyway, <laughs> so sort of a final thing, I guess, or close to a final thing. It is now being reported in sort of health industry press that uh, our enemies are growing stronger. The, uh, the health insurance industry has now, uh, neared the one trillion dollar revenue new mark. new heights. Yeah, they so, won't uh, see us waving from such great heights. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> how, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, how are we going to pay for this, guys? That's a lot of revenue. Yeah, yeah it's going to be really hard to raise all that revenue. I, I don't know how you can do it. We might need a transition plan. Exactly. Or we could just have a uh, uh, a wealth transfer. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, yeah. Just remember I, this. Every single time. Every single time, and you're going to hear it ton- tonight, or you know, you would have heard it last night uh, uh, on the debate. You you will you will hear it again and again and again. Uh, <laughs> you will hear the idea that like people like their choice and they want their choice and they've got to keep their choice. Here is what the here is what they're talking about. Okay, they are talking about United Healthcare growing in profits. 16.5% year over year in the fourth quarter to $3.5 billion. Why? Largely because of their investments in the Medicare and Medicaid managed care uh, marketplaces. They are mm-hmm. making money off of uh, Medicare and Medicaid uh, beneficiaries, right? Keeping right. their benefits nice and lean. Um, and you know, CVS, right? The fact that now you can't even tell what an insurer is anymore. Aetna right. and CVS merged, 
right? That's what accounts for this huge growth in yeah. revenue from CVS and this CVS it, and care market. So it's a loss in reality too, because like all these things that used to be different things are now merging into one big thing. It's like Katamari. Yeah, it is totally yeah. like Katamari. They're just like rolling them up. Although it's like... Well, and uh, he is a tiny pill, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, I can't believe I just laughed on pod. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it is. It just speaks to the fact that like, you know, this the ease with which we will be able to transition to a, like a Medicare for all, you know, a single payer system. It's is that's the Katamari actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's you roll them all up <laughs> and you turn it into a star. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but for the King with the, the big bulge. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just highlights the fact that like this, this will be like, you know, when, once we like prick this, like we're just going to be able to like harvest so much, like you know cash that we can basically like uh like give back to real people yeah um out of this fucking behemoth of an industry i, mean, I think it's wild also because a lot of these companies that like people i mean a lot of these companies anyway like a lot of their revenue is like sure a lot of their revenue is coming from people but a lot of their revenue is also coming from the government anyway Right. right. I mean, yeah, they're, they're siphoning of off. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, if you think like, about like some of their lines of business, like Centene, um, uh, Humana, I mean, like so much of their business is dependent on um, uh, Medicare and Medicaid uh, being effectively privatized. Right. Yeah. And exactly. so like that's and, and so that's the thing is like we're people are talking about like keeping their current, you know, keeping your current thing, keeping the choice. It's just like it's priming some other thing. But what it really means is this. What yeah. it really means is that people, the, these these CEOs want to keep their profits. The, the right. shareholders want to keep uh, their profits. That's that's it. It's it's it should be no simpler uh, than that, and it should be repeated over and over again. And if you think you've repeated it enough times, you haven't. You're going right. to have yeah. to say it more and more. And if you think you sound like a broken record, good because yeah, means totally. you're doing it. I mean, right. it also points to the fact that like choice as a rhetorical device is like one of those ones that we ha- I think have yet to like completely beat and and beat back the choice rhetoric is ridiculous yeah, yeah. choice rhetoric so actually is so let's let's talk let's talk about that choice actually to, to yeah, close out so uh choice so yeah choice rhetoric let's let's talk about how people are choosing to uh to finance these insurance companies actually and mm-hmm. to finance like direct payments when they when they need to because i guess a lot of people even uh you know they're for all for all of this and for all the profits that they have for all this like 17 percent return year over year or whatever which is absolutely insane mm-hmm. and should be morally disqualifying for anyone arguing in favor of private insurance like having any right to exist yeah basically uh wanted to highlight a thing that dropped today um from uh what is uh nrc at the university of chicago which is uh a survey conducted uh, about GoFundMe, about like about crowdfunding for health expenditures. We already know that uh, GoFundMe is like one third, one third of all GoFundMe's or something like that is uh, is for medical debt often. And as Charlie was pointing out, like GoFundMe is often like how most people like pay for like trans healthcare. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Heron Walker, uh, shout out to Heron, had a tweet a while back. Is back that said something like. Uh, some of you don't see a bunch of GoFundMe's every time you open open social media, and it shows. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I think this is even maybe something I've uh, ranted on on the pod before, but I think sort of like it's sort of common for people to use um, trans people crowdfunding each other's medical care as sort of like the power of trans community. And like, right. obviously, yeah, it's amazing that people do that. But the point is that like they shouldn't have to be doing it. Yeah. Absolutely. And one thing that was nice about um, this this report is that they were like, actually, there is kind of rising consensus that most people shouldn't have to be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I mean, but like no one wants to be doing a GoFundMe to like pay for any type of health care. It's, it's yeah. ridiculous. It's obscene. And it's like absolute. It's it, it demonstrates it is demonstrative of the cruelty of our current system that anyone should have to do it. And like, absolutely. Um, but I think that uh, I think that Charlie's right that this is like so some of the results of this are really interesting. Um, so this uh, let's look at this for like, I think one that one that I like in particular is that um, they asked people <clears throat> who should be responsible for providing <laughs> yeah. help when medical care is unaffordable. A so like a, a vast majority, frankly, uh, if you just look at who basic who basically overall said yes, about eighty five percent of people said that uh, government should take responsibility for that. <laughs> um, so shout out Medicare for all of those, uh, or not of that eighty five percent, but overall like sixty percent of uh, those respondents uh, said a great deal or a lot of responsibility. Uh, every other answer is like, you know, it comprises like less than half are basically saying yes. They were, they asked like, should, should hospitals or charities or doctors, uh, or families and friends, uh, take care of it? It's like, much doctors less. was a wild one to me. It's just like, it's a weird thing to have as part of the survey. They got this, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's for the people who have like not thought about healthcare past like the exact point of care. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. And I mean, think of the. Thing we talked about a little bit a little while ago even about the like the doctor who's like doing like do nonprofit work or whatever do like do right. like roadside cleanup uh to pay for your surgery so right. i think maybe people have like i don't know watched too much cbs this morning or something yeah. Yeah. but um and then it asks also like who is who has who does crowdfund and it's basically mm-hmm. like is it the one that says Ameris speak spotlight on health why do people who do people donate to on crowdfunding sites for healthcare expenses yeah I mean, this is the thing that stood out to me. I mean, I was it's so it says 46% of people say they donated to a friend, but 35% of people said stranger and, and 24% said relative, 23% said acquaintance, 14% uh, coworker, 6% cannot remember. I can't believe I'm just like saying numbers out loud like this. But uh, anyway, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I was like pretty struck by the fact that like stranger was the second most popular one. Yeah. And it just yeah. sort of made me think of just over like relative. Yeah. yeah. Over things like relative, aka the nucle- nuclear family coworker. Right. Uh, like AKA, like the uh, connections in the I don't you know you you know what coworkers are whatever, but um, <laughs> but but, but you, yeah, you've but met it, a coworker, yeah, you've met a coworker before, <laughs> We've all been there but, before, but maybe you haven't. Um, it could, now could be your chance. Um, but chances anyway. are you know someone who is a coworker. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Someone you someone you love is a coworker. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> but but, um. but this, anyway, my point was just that like this is sort of just like made me made it really hit how sort of wrong this liberal want class is because it's so in. For them, it's so inconceivable to think that people might be fine, a.k.a. giving to a stranger's uh, crowdfunding campaign. But it's like people are already doing socialism and they're they're saying like, it's not possible, blah, blah, blah. No one wants it. And people are like, oh, no, no, I I give money to strangers GoFundMes all the time. Yeah, I think um, that's 
a really optimistic way to see that particular statistic, but the, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, yeah, I don't but know. But now I crush it. I, um, but minimum 8 million people. Yeah. Do this. Right. Yeah. I mean, minimum 8 million people finance their healthcare through GoFundMe. Yeah. Depending on how those, think about how those people might be spatially distributed in the country. And then mm-hmm. think about where their congressional districts are. Right. And then think about like how many of them are in even mildly persuadable uh, districts where there's somebody who isn't on board for Medicare for all yet in any way, shape or form, like my member of Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Again, this is just like a back of the envelope thing, but this is why you're not allowed to say you're quite literally not allowed to say, as Matt Iglesias and others have, that Medicare for all is politically uh, infeasible. Right. The, just at a minimum, if you, even if you take a fraction of this, right, this is like, this is a, this is a, a, a potential cluster uh, here. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to be overly optimistic about things. I don't want to try to like be level headed, but like, that's, that's why we do this, right? This right, is like, and, yeah. and, and, and this, this study is like emblematic of like pent up, uh, precarity and demand uh for for change and so i guess the question is like how do you the, the question is not one of like senate math or anything like that as we talked about last time the question is like how do you harness this that's right. that's the only question yeah. no absolutely i think that's like a, a completely like fair point and probably one we should close on right yeah and because again even if uh one of the things this shows is that like the cost sharing is already happening yeah. You know what I mean? I yeah. think that's what right. I meant to say instead of making GoFundMe sound like socialism. So that about uh, does us for this week. Again, um, we are uh, sorry to our listeners that B wasn't here. She has not missed an episode so far, I think. Unlike unlike me, not sick. Sicked out many yeah, times. <laughs> totally. Um, B has literally done the show before uh, having like been in the er until the moment before the show uh, the show started <laughs> and uh you know been discharged and like come out and done the show so um in this case uh she was uh not able to do so but anyway uh yeah this has been the death panel uh support us on patreon.com slash death panel pod uh we do two shows a week uh one is for patrons only and <laughs> follow us on twitter and instagram uh and and uh, join and hang out in our Discord. Yep. If anyone wants to start a super PAC funding us, um, like Amy <laughs> Klobuchar, we won't endorse that, but we won't stop you. You mean like Liz Warren? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, her yeah. too. Uh, yeah, um, join join the uh, Liz Warren super PAC and take it down from the inside. Um, and uh, yeah, so anyway, this has been us. Uh, stay alive another week. Bye-bye. Bye. Nice.